Two of the biggest movies of the year just came out in the same week. Barbie and Oppenheimer. Now, we all love Barbie, but the movie doesn't have all that much on atomic bombs. So I promise I will start an episode with Barbie one day, but today it's going to be Oppenheimer. The real J. Robert Oppenheimer. This is a man who spent much of his life haunted by his own invention, like Frankenstein and the monster. Oppenheimer created the atomic bomb without fully thinking through all the ramifications. So much so that in 1947, he and a bunch of other atomic scientists published a thing they called the Doomsday Clock. It was meant to show how close the world is to destruction. In 1947, they set it at seven minutes to midnight. By the way, midnight means we're dead. In 1953, when both the US and the Soviet Union started testing super powerful thermonuclear bombs, it was set to two minutes to midnight. In 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed and it seemed that liberal democracy was the way of the future, it was set right back to 17 minutes to midnight. Now, Thanks to the war in Ukraine, climate change and various people getting a bit more loose with their nukes, it's at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest we've ever been to total annihilation. So we thought, time to bring back If You're Listening. And we're not just choosing one story, we're going to do a different topic every week. There's a bit going on, and if we don't do it now, we might not get another chance. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is If You're Listening, a weekly show explaining what's happening in the world during what might be the final 90 seconds before Armageddon. So, on to this week's story, which is about bromance. A bromance is a powerful thing. Lennon and McCartney, Holmes and Watson, Gilbert and Sullivan, Hahn and Chewy. But occasionally, a bromance can nearly get you killed. A month ago, the entire world watched Transfixed as a former chef named Yevgeny Prigozhin marched with his private army on Moscow. The first signs of an armed rebellion in Russia. His tanks and his men, the Wagner Group, rolled triumphantly towards the Kremlin. But the Russian army was not stopping them. At the core of this mutiny is a bromance between Prigozhin and a guy you've probably never heard of, General Sergei Sorovkin. Big and bald, Sorovkin looks like a bouncer or a wrestler. He wears turtlenecks under his army uniform, which accentuate his double chin. Prigozhin's Wagner army got closer to the Kremlin and he assumed that his friend Sorovkin would swing in to back him up. Things were going very, very well. People were cheering them in the street. But Sergei Sorovkin flaked on his friend. He told Prigozhin to back off. I urge you to stop. We mustn't play into the enemy's hands during this difficult moment for the country. Then... He disappeared. This week, Yevgeny Prigozhin attempted a coup, but it was brought to an extremely anticlimactic end. Now both he and his friend are missing. So, 
How did Prigozhin's bromance with Sorovkin nearly bring down the Russian government? Oh, and what's the punishment for even thinking about trying to roll Vladimir Putin? We'll get to that too. Sorovkin and Prigozhin became friends in a place where friends are very hard to make. Syria, in 2018. You see, there are some jobs that Vladimir Putin wants done, but he doesn't want to be seen doing those jobs. So he sends his private army, the Wagner Group. Putin sends these mercenaries anywhere he needs them to do his dirty work. Here's international political expert Scott Lucas. You can use them in various places around the world where you don't want to openly admit you're intervening. Some say the name is because the original founder was a neo-Nazi and Richard Wagner was Hitler's favourite composer. The group leans into this. They refer to themselves as an orchestra and each mercenary is a musician. I mean, it's cute, but in Syria they establish a reputation for absolute brutality. So who conducts this orchestra? Why, it's the mutinous Yevgeny Prigozhin. And Prigozhin is happy to help Putin out. Many years ago, he gave Prigozhin lucrative government catering contracts, which made him a billionaire. To pay Putin back, Prigozhin became kind of a henchman. So what Prigozhin said is, look, give me the funds to develop your own private army. Prigozhin leaned right into his new role as an international man of mystery. He apparently has a large collection of fake passports and disguises. His house is full of gold bars, cash in lots of different currencies, a large gun collection, and a giant sledgehammer engraved with the words, for use in important negotiations. He's a bald Russian Jason Bourne. General Sergei Sorovkin arrived in Syria under much less secretive circumstances. Vladimir Putin appointed him as the head of Russian military operations in Syria. A very big title and a very big deal. Prigozhin really liked Sorovkin. Sorovkin's time in Syria was particularly bloody. He oversaw indiscriminate bombings of civilians. Russian and Syrian planes have stepped up their bombing of Idlib since December. He did nothing to stop Syrian planes dropping chemical weapons on civilians as well. His tactics in Syria earned him the nickname General Armageddon and pushed him further up the ranks. Prigozhin and Sorovkin built a close relationship. Leaked documents, which appear to be from the Wagner Group, indicate that Sorovkin became an honorary Wagner musician while they were working together in Syria. It was a beautiful friendship, which would last right up until one of them attempted a military coup. When Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022, Prigozhin and Sorovkin were back in Russia and began to step into the limelight. At first, both of them kept their heads pretty low. But as the war started going badly for Vladimir Putin, Prigozhin saw an opportunity. Yevgeny Prigozhin no longer wanted to be a servant. He wanted to be an equal, arguably a master in some ways. And he had a master plan for how to do it. In September last year, Prigozhin stood in a prison yard in a city 11 hours east of Moscow. The sky was overcast and he was in a khaki zip-up bomber jacket and shiny black shoes. 
He was wearing medals given to him by Putin. Inmates stood in a circle around him in Navy prison uniforms. He was coming to them with an offer. I represent a private military company, he said. You may have heard of Wagner. He introduced his offer like a reality TV host. It's a six-month game. If you survive to the end, you go home, pardoned of your crimes. There are rules. You don't drink, you don't take drugs, you don't pillage and plunder, you don't have sex with anyone, flora, fauna, men, women, anything. The most important rule is you don't desert. You don't surrender. Once you join, you follow orders or you die. His offer was to join Wagner and fight alongside the Russian army to try and take Ukraine. Despite the risk, thousands signed up. With little training, they were being sent into hell. The Battle of Bakhmut. The city of Bakhmut is about halfway along the thousand-kilometre front between Russian and Ukrainian forces. It's the bloodiest battle in Ukraine. Russia's on a mission to make a breakthrough in this war. Despite its limited strategic value, the battle for Bakhmut has become symbolic for both sides. Putin had promised it would be taken and put Prigozhin and Sorovkin in charge. In fact, Sorovkin was put in charge of the entire invasion, much to Prigozhin's delight. Prigozhin issued a statement calling Sorovkin a legendary person born to faithfully serve the motherland. He said he was the most competent commander in the Russian army. But Ukrainian troops weren't going to make their job easy. We won't give up Bakhmut. We will hold on to it until the very last. Glory to Ukraine, death to the enemies. Ukrainian forces saw Bakhmut as an opportunity to kill as many Russians as possible. Bakhmut in Ukraine's east has seen some of the fiercest fighting. So much so, it's been dubbed the meat grinder. Prigozhin sent wave after wave of new Wagner recruits to their deaths. It was chaos. The recruits were terrified. Many tried to desert and were shot. Ten people were shot on the training ground in front of prisoners who just arrived. It was done as a deterrent. Another deserter was beaten to death with a sledgehammer on camera. When global organisations called Prigozhin a terrorist, he sent them a blood-stained sledgehammer with a Wagner logo and a pile of skulls engraved on it. It came in a violin case to give it a musical touch. As Prigozhin was throwing men into the meat grinder, Sergei Sorovkin was getting a taste of reality. Less than a month after he took over command of the invasion, he suffered a serious defeat. Russian troops captured the port city of Kherson in the early days of their invasion. Moscow's forces have been ordered to retreat. A TV broadcast was organised to humiliate him. The Defence Minister, Sergei Shoigu, sat at a long table surrounded by generals. In front of them, as though testifying at his own trial, Sorovigan had to explain what had happened and recommend a retreat. Prigozhin backed up his friend, saying Sorovkin had shown leadership and spoke like a man who took responsibility for the troops, which was very nice of him. But Sorovkin was demoted two months later, and command was given to Sorovkin's boss, Valery Gerasimov. Prigozhin was furious. 
his friend had been humiliated and replaced by two men he had a long-standing grudge against, Shoigu and Gerasimov. The rifts inside Russia's military are growing. From that point on, everything that went wrong for Prigozhin was Shoigu and Gerasimov's fault. Yevgeny Prigozhin has well and truly come out into the spotlight, openly criticising Russian military leaders. He started making videos blaming them for the deaths of his men in Bakhmut. Shoigu! He accused Sorovikin and Gerasimov of genocide, of cowardice. In the months after Sorovikin's demotion, Prigozhin became more and more of a social media star. Once Bakhmut was captured, Russian state media hailed Wagner men as heroes and Prigozhin as a genius. At first, this was fine with Putin. As long as Putin can keep the camps around him divided rather than united, he protects himself. But Prigozhin had become quite unhinged by what he'd seen in Bakhmut and by the treatment of his friend Sorovikin. Finally, when Prigozhin did an interview railing against the elite of Russia, Putin saw him as a threat. It was a comically large Zoom call which seemed to include everybody in Russia except Prigozhin and Sorovikin. In it, the top army brass announced they would be taking Prigozhin's men away from him, absorbing them into the army. At this point, it seems like Prigozhin snapped. He concocted a plan to kidnap Shoigu and Gerasimov, but he couldn't do it alone. He started sounding out support from some top generals, including possibly his friend Sorovikin. Unfortunately for both Sorovikin and Prigozhin, Russian intelligence services knew it was coming. When Prigozhin realised that he was blown, he decided to YOLO it and march on Moscow. Prigozhin's men marched into the military headquarters of the Ukraine operation, cheered on by local Russians. At this point, it seems that Sergei Sorovikin got a tap on the shoulder from the FSB, that is Russia's security service. That's really the worst tap on the shoulder that anyone can get anywhere. The FSB appears to have detained him, taken him to an interrogation room and asked him some questions. Then, as Prigozhin's men hit the road towards Moscow, Sorovikin was given a job. Tell him to stop. With an uncharacteristic five o'clock shadow, a gun on his lap and an awkward tone in his voice, Sorovikin was filmed in a small white-walled room asking Wagner to head back to their base and submit to Putin's orders. The jig was up. Whatever support Prigozhin was hoping to get from his old friend Sorovikin was clearly not coming. Yevgeny Prigozhin ordered his troops to turn back. These two men, both supporters of Vladimir Putin, have created a situation more dangerous than anything the president has faced before. So, of course, there have to be consequences. Let's start with Sorovikin. The Russian general, believed to have known about the mutiny beforehand, hasn't been seen in public in days. The Wall Street Journal and the New York Times report that he has been detained in Moscow and repeatedly interrogated by the FSB. The official line is that he is resting. And you would think that things would be even more terrifying for Prigozhin, the architect of all this chaos. If I were here, I'd be careful what I ate. I'd be uh, keeping my eye on my menu. You would be wrong, though. 
things keep getting better for Prigozhin. Initially, it was all treason charges and raids of his house and living in exile, but within days, he was invited to FSB headquarters to pick up all the guns, disguises, passports, gold bars and cash they'd found at his house. Then, he and 35 top Wagner guys were invited to the Kremlin for a three-hour meeting with Vladimir Putin. How nice! And then, for all we know, he went back to work. His Wagner group has resumed operations in Africa, with more recruits arriving in recent weeks. Former Putin speechwriter Abbas Galyamov says it's about covering his own back. He will try to minimise the political damage, which he is now demonstrating, sending the message that Wagner mercenaries are patriots. It really seems like Vladimir Putin is trying to just pretend this never happened. But it did happen. Everyone saw it. Since the mutiny, several senior Russian army officers have been mimicking Prigozhin and posting criticism of the top brass online. Meanwhile, the Ukrainians are moving in to try and recapture Bakhmut, making all of this pointless. Except that Putin has shown weakness. And when you're an autocrat, weakness is never good. If You're Listening is written by me, Matt Bevan. Series producer is Yasmin Parry. We also make a video version of this show with pictures of everything we're talking about and uh, of me in my basement. It'll be out this Saturday on YouTube and iView. Just search for ABC if you're listening. We'll be back next Thursday. 